For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. War Eagle, everybody. Welcome back to Believe in Everything Auburn. I am your host, Taylor Davis, and I am joined by Jason Campbell here to talk everything Auburn. And I've got a pep in my step today because we get to talk about what this football season is going to look like, and we finally aren't guessing anymore. Well, we're guessing what the schedule looks like, but we at least know a little bit more than last time, and I will take what I can get these days. But we've got a great episode for you today. Going to, of course, talk about the recent decision in regards to an SEC-only schedule for your Auburn Tigers, talk about what that's going to look like. We've got other few notable stories. Things are moving and grooving, so we are going to cover it all. And then we have a great guest joining us today. We have color commentator for Auburn Network Radio, former Auburn quarterback, Mr. Stan White. He's going to be joining us to give us his insight on the pending season, look back on his days, that team of the decade, that undefeated season in 93. It's going to be a great episode. We are glad that you have joined us today. Now, I think one of the biggest topics, you know, breaking news that we should really discuss is my man J-Cam created some dope cornhole <laughs> boards. I mean, when I saw these puppies on Instagram, I was like, J- like you could sell these, Jason. This could be a side hustle. I would place an order. You know what I mean? Hey, hey, you're right. Uh, I'm not going to take full credit for doing them. I just told uh-huh. the guy where I wanted my number, what I all I wanted on the board, how the colors I wanted the colors to look. So I basically designed it and then he did okay. the, the carpenter work. So, so you're but, the create creative mind behind it all. Oh yeah. And yeah, then y'all just need to go in bit. I'm serious, Jason. P- tailgates, especially if people can't be on campus this season, those things are sick, man. I know. I'm gonna have to talk to him. I say, look, I'm gonna have to talk to you in detail and see if we can make some of these boards and uh and sell them to some of the Auburn people. Cause I said people are gonna see these and they're gonna want them. And uh I did. Yeah, so other than Are that. Are you any good at cornhole? What? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> really? I I have went to the championship here in Atlanta at a charity event, and I wasn't even going to get involved. And the tournament had about 50 players in it. I was just like, you know what? Why not? Because, you know, when guys play somebody that's played competitive sports, you know, they get a little beefed up. If they beat you, they tell everybody, right? You know, so I'm just like, nah, I'm just going to hang out. And I was like, you know what? The competitive side wouldn't just let me. So I said, I'm going to get in here. So I got in there. I got a teammate, and everyone had to pick a teammate. And we made it all the way to the finals. Mm. And what happened was my partner decided that he wanted to go have two, three beers between break while we was waiting out who was to see who was going to play. <laughs> And by the time we find out who was going to play, he comes back and he's just all just not the same person. So he throws first and he's just missing the board. All three throws just oh, missed the board. No. I'm just like, dude, can you not see straight right now? Like you oh, on. No. I said, man, I said, we got to the championship. So I hear I am carrying the team. Of course. And we get all the way down there. We end up losing by like two points. And I'm just like, oh, man. dude, you couldn't save your three beers until after Oh, man. Moral of the story, choose wisely on your partner. And that that applies to a multitude of things in life, but that's for a different day, a different conversation. But your cornhole boards look good. So you can be practicing, and the next time the competition rolls around, it it won't matter what your partner does because you'll be that good. Well, we are going to dive on into the topics that I mentioned at the beginning, and obviously the biggest one that is sweeping all of the headlines is the decision finally released by the sec that we will be playing a 10 game conference only schedule it also means that the start of season will be pushed back to september 26th with the sec championship tentatively scheduled for december 19th so we are still waiting our actual schedule dates and when we'll play certain opponents what we do know is that we're only playing the SEC, 
Our eight SEC games that were already on our schedule will remain. So that includes Ole Miss, Kentucky, Georgia, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, Arkansas, LSU, and Alabama. That leaves room for two additional matchups. There is speculation that those are going to be Missouri and South Carolina, but again, just speculation. But at least a decision is made, and obviously we talked in depth about this potential on the last episode because it seemed like all signs were pointing to that. Really the only thing that was uh, kind of a question was if we were going to do the plus one that the ACC is doing, so they're doing conference only plus one non-conference. I was in hopes that we were going to do that, mostly because I really wanted to see that UNC game stick around, but... That one is officially canceled, so sad for the uh, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl committee because they were really hoping that those were going to stick around. But this is the reality, people. We've got 10 SEC games coming our way within the next few months. Jason, you gave me your opinion on this last week, mostly just you know the wear and tear and the difficulty that this is going to take on these guys. But now that it's the reality, that's what we're headed toward. They've got a little more time to prepare for it. What's your take? What's your expectation? Yeah, I'm thinking like we always talk about, like you just want you just want it on paper. Like, what are we gonna do? What are we doing? And right. now that we know what we're doing and we know who we're playing, now it's just a matter of, okay, now let's adjust our mindset to know, okay, every week that we play, you gotta come with your game. Like, mm-hmm. there cannot be a letdown week. And what I mean by that is you're playing in the SEC, which is I you know, maybe biased, but the, the best conference in all of college football. And it's a brutal, it's a brutal division because we have what we call defense here. You know, not a lot of teams have defenses in their conference, but SEC is built off defense. And it's been that way for a long time. Even though we have great high-rise receivers and quarterbacks and things that come through, but it's always started with the defense. And mm-hmm. when you think about this, this specifically, when Auburn always plays LSU, for whatever reason, it's always a juggernaut hard-hitting battle. So that means you don't get to play LSU this year and have a hard-hitting battle and then turn around the next week and probably play Southeast Louisiana or the Citadel or someone. Like, Mm -hmm. you may end up playing, you know, Mississippi State, Ole Miss or someone. And you know that they both have new coaches and they're both hungry to get their programs back to to glory days. And so you're going to have to get your bumps and bruises heal them up quickly and get ready for the next week. Like you can't have a letdown. So it's so important as you know, you probably hear from Stan later, uh, his take on this and everything about how important it is to have, you know, both uh, two depth at every position. I can only imagine if fans could actually be at a lot of these games, uh, all SEC schedule. Do you imagine the tailgating that goes on? SEC does a really good job of having that football atmosphere. It's the game day atmosphere that makes college football. So it's going to be kind of weird not having that game day atmosphere. It's just like watching the NBA on TV. Yes, you're excited to have some type of sport to watch, and it's fun to see some of those guys that you, you know, you like to watch playing. But, man, not having those fans in reality there, it is so hard to simulate that. And oh, yeah. it's just nothing that can you can do to simulate that. So these guys, for me, Taylor, mentally, they're going to have to check themselves in. Like, they're not going yeah. to have the crowd noise to feed off of. They're not going to have that tiger walk where they're beating your chest in or you getting all those high fives and everything and you just your adrenaline is going you can't wait to get there and just start the game like there's going to be some self-motivation going on this year yeah i really hope that new light system we got does a lot of good because that's gonna gonna be how they get their adrenaline you know what i mean but i i totally agree with you i mean i obviously we we haven't been told the official decision on what capacity if any the stadium will be allowed what you know campus protocol will be on a game day we we still are awaiting decisions like that but what is 100% certain is that this season will be different the the aspects and the variables of this season of a game day are going to be different and so uh, you're absolutely right we are going to see the want to from these guys we are going to see how much they love the game of football and how much they have bought in honestly this is going to be such a good test of 
coaching because these coaches are going to have to dig deep to get the best out of their players because the typical aspects and, and scenarios surrounding a game day that do get them, you know, up and hype aren't going to be there. And so it, it's going to be a, a whole different aspect of motivation that we're going to see from these guys or lack thereof, which I think is going to be really interesting. So obviously the two games that have yet to be assigned, there's a, a lot of reports that it's going to be determined based on the team's existing strength of schedule. And with Auburn already, you know, having a tough SEC schedule as it is, like we do every season, there's a good chance that, you know, we may get some of the lower tier teams in the SEC. I, you hate to say that, but it it's a reality of, of the situation. And so I think that that could be a benefit to us and other teams are in a way going to be penalized because and I'm not here to point fingers but a lot of the schools <laughs> have been complaining about the gauntlet that it's now going to be when they're having to add teams like Florida or LSU or Georgia that they wouldn't ordinarily face and uh, I think it was Anthony Schwartz who actually took to Twitter and was like so this is just going to be another normal season for Auburn which is so true I mean what we put on our slate conference wise is like this every single year. This is going to be a lot tougher for other schools than it will be for Auburn because we've been conditioning for this. So it's going to be interesting to see how all this fares, but this also affects the preseason schedule a little bit. So the SEC announced that its schools will open fall camp on August 17th. So the new calendar for the conference provides student athletes with more off days than what's normally required by the NCAA. And they have fewer practices than what's permitted by the NCAA. But with the SEC deciding on a conference only schedule and the first game of the season set for September 26th, they will continue with workouts and walkthroughs and team meetings until they can begin fall camp on the 17th. So this adjusts preseason a little bit, giving them a little more time, obviously, to monitor everything that's going on, keep these guys healthy, uh, and then they'll get things going August 17th. And I mean, this was kind of what you said last week, J.K.M. You know I like to point out when you're wrong, but I'll point out when you're right, too. And you did say last week that you you felt like the only answer was to push a little bit, give them a little more time. How do you feel about fall camp starting up on the 17th? Yeah, I just think it's the right decision because I just feel like everything was becoming so compressed. And I was just like, yeah. why are we compressing so hard right now? We haven't even started the season. You know, it's not like the NBA where they was in their season. Like, we have a chance to make adjustments before we even hit off the season. And that was my key was, let's just make the adjustments now. Like, what's the compress? Let's just, we understand, like, things are not better. Like, let's just move it back, you know, a month or, or a couple of weeks, which is almost a month, but they moved it back three and a half weeks. So that's better than trying to force it so early and everything. It gives the committee, it gives people time to make decisions and, and the plan and everything because, could you imagine they saying, okay, we're playing an all SEC schedule and things going to start off the normal, you know, the first game is still September the 3rd or something. Yeah. You're like, what? Like, like you hadn't even had time to process the information. So I was glad they made the decision to push things back and, uh, and just see where we're at and see how they're going to do everything with the fans, how many people can actually be at the game, how many people can't. So it's just so many things, man. I just don't believe in making rush decisions. I just believe nothing good comes out of it. I believe when you put your minds together and you come up with a plan, things works out better. I agree. You don't want to rush, but I also feel like the amount of time that they have to make decisions is dwindling. So uh, I feel <laughs> yeah, like every true. time we do an episode, we are waiting on another decision announcement. So we will wait with bated breath on our schedule, which the ACC schedule actually just got released this morning. So makes you think that the SEC can't be far behind. So we will probably have a more solidified expectation of season and dates and opponents very soon. Certainly by the time we record our next episode, and hopefully decisions in regards to tickets and tailgating and all of that won't be far behind either. So I want to move into a couple other different topics real quick. Uh, also, a release that happened this week is that Auburn published its updated official roster for the 2020 season. If anyone is interested in that, the update includes new arrivals, number changes, and a couple of position changes that I wanted to discuss. One of which 
is a move from wide receiver to defensive back. Redshirt sophomore Matthew Hill, who played wide receiver during his first two seasons on the Plains, is now officially listed as a DB. He is 6'1", 190. He had eight catches for 46 yards last season, but Coach Malzahn said that the plan was to give him some opportunities on defense in the spring. Obviously, spring did not happen, so they never really got to see him have all that many reps at DB, but that is his primary position heading into fall camp. So that is an interesting development. And also interesting, something that we have talked about on this show, Kalen Newton is officially listed as wide receiver. Obviously, you guys will remember him as the younger brother of former Heisman and national championship winning Auburn quarterback Cam Newton, now New England Patriot. Still can't wrap my head around that. But uh, Kalen Newton transferred to Auburn from Howard, which is where he played quarterback. But obviously, we kind of had expectation that he was going to be put at a different position. He's released some Instagram videos showing him working out at receiver. And obviously that is where they think they can utilize him best. I'm sure Chad Morris has high expectations for this guy, but he's 5'11", 201. And obviously, you know, with, with Bo and the other grad transfer we got at quarterback that was, you know, a, a bigger body. And Kalen's skill set really does seem to be something that could be utilized well at receiver. So I'm excited to see him at that position. Uh, not a ton of movement. Obviously, seeing the roster is exciting. The The numbers are out. Tank Bigsby will be wearing number four. So we can start to, you know, visualize what season will look like a little bit. And that's exciting. Well, that, that always happens. Um, you know, a lot of the guys in high school, they play receiver. They play DB as well on both sides yeah. of the ball. So, you know, we saw with Ibanagi uh, last year, you know, yeah, how it worked work. out how it worked out so well for him. He ended up being a first-round draft pick. And uh, so I think that kind of helped this kid. He'll make that decision easier because he's already seen someone just made that decision and how it worked, how quickly and how fast it paid off for him. And uh, mm-hmm. so that gives him self-motivation within itself. And I think it adds – depth to a position which we needed like i said we lost our whole secondary pretty much so totally. you know so we need depth and we need guys who are going to be competing for that position on at, at this time and then you think about kaylin you know that doesn't shock me we talked about it uh he yeah. was coming in and we figured he was going to be playing receiver and used as a wildcat type of guy maybe and then you know put out use his nascar and try to get the ball in his hand see if he can make plays in open space so that doesn't shock me at all um and everything, but yes, I, I'm excited about the new changes and new the new moves that Auburn is making, and uh, you know, so it just opens up the 2020 season with hey, I think we're gonna have a really good team because any time that there's competition at a lot of positions, it usually brings out the best in your players because no guy wants to miss a play or no guy wants to miss a game because you just don't right. know what the next guy behind you is going to do, and that's what creates championship football. But we're also going to need that depth at multiple positions, given the fact that we're going to be in an SEC-only schedule. If you've got a guy that goes down, whether from fatigue, injury, heck, you got to think COVID. If any of these guys end mm-hmm. up with the virus, you got to have somebody in the wings that the team's not going to skip a beat. You know what I mean? Right. So I think that that's, that's really vital for us, and these coaches are going to make smart decisions about where guys are most effective. It certainly is exciting to think that the future is taking shape like that, but We also got to talk a little bit about the past because we have some exciting news. Legendary Auburn running back Ronnie Brown, a good friend of Jason Campbell's, is being inducted into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. Now, really, this is no surprise, right? I mean, it was just a matter of time, but wanted to get Jason's input on it. Obviously, someone who can speak very closely about Ronnie's impact, obviously, as a player, as a person. Uh, what what was your opinion when you heard the news? I'm sure it wasn't a surprise to you, but uh, what what makes him an obvious fit for the Hall of Fame? Yeah, you know, Ronnie Jean Brown. You know, you probably get upset for mentioning the whole <laughs> name, but yeah, he, you know, Ronnie. This is not a surprise. You know, Ronnie was the ultimate teammate. You know, I say that you know wholeheartedly because you know he played in the backfield. He shared the ball with Cadillac, and you know, not one time did you hear him complaining about that. You know, he enjoyed his friendship with Lack. They still have a great friendship now. Now both mm-hmm. of these guys are in the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame, and that speaks a lot of volume for for their commitment. Uh, to the game, their commitment to each other. It just goes to show you what unselfishness brings to people. And uh, yeah. running never made things about himself. He just did everything he needed to do to fit in and do 
what he was called upon to do. And some games he was called upon to run the ball more. Some games he was called upon to be in the passing game more. And he enjoyed both aspects more than some guys I played with at the next level, you know, where some of them want to make everything about themselves, where I got an opportunity to play with two running backs that was very unselfish. And uh, and that meant a lot. And I just, you know, it's an honor and and everything to see him achieve this uh this award and uh and everything he's a great man a great family man he's god fearing he's you know and, and he, he running walks the walk and he uh does things the right way and and it doesn't shock me to see awards and accolades just flowing his way you know he's a top two pick in the nfl draft you know think about that you know he wasn't even a starting running back you know he's a top two pick in the draft like so that just goes to show you it doesn't matter where you start but how you finish and some of these kids get so caught up in this coming in as freshmen and not starting right off the bat that they want to transfer. They think that's the end of their career. Running came in. We came in together. And running didn't even play hardly at all his redshirt freshman yeah. year. And then his sophomore year, he didn't really play until Cadillac broke his fibula. And that's when yeah. his career kind of jump-started and took off. So kids need to just learn from guys like this. Like, just look what – if you stay put sometimes, what can happen for you if you stop running from everything that presents a challenge? Stay there. If it doesn't challenge you, then it doesn't change you. So if you want to have an opportunity to learn, then stay put sometimes and ride the roller coaster and you will end up where you never even thought you would be. Jason, that was one of the most profound things you've ever said. If it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. I am going to go write that on some bulletin boards. That is good <laughs> stuff. But you're so right. I mean, we have been molded kind of by a society of immediacy. And I think today's athletes are affected by that for sure. Especially, you know, if they come out of high school, you know, highly touted, all this attention and high school ball has been kind of easy for them. Then they get to Auburn and, and you're under this impression that it should be that easy there. And that is just not the reality. You quickly come to realize that it should be a process and you'll be better off for it if it is a process and it's not immediate success. So I think Ronnie is a great testament of that. He's a great representative of the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. And this is certainly well-deserved. Well, we are going to bring in our mm -hmm. guest. Everybody knows what that means. Oh my God, I forgot. I have my three questions for Miss Taylor Beth Davis. All right, let's roll. Would you rather have tickets, sideline, right in the middle, great view, mm -hmm. lower level at the College World Series championship game or the NCAA tournament championship game or the college football playoff national championship game? Which one would you pick? Uh, football is king to me. I'm going to the national championship. Hmm. Thought you may want to throw a changeup since you, you know, around I've, football. I've never been to the Final Four. I've been to the College World Series and the National Championship. Both are awesome, but I never get to just like watch. I'm always working. So if you're giving me tickets and I get to like sit back and be a spectator at a sporting event, I haven't been able to do that at a football game in a long time. So that's what I do. Understood. So if you could meet one person, who is the one person you would like to meet and could have 10 minutes to talk to? Wow, you see, there's so many levels to this one because if I'm <laughs> these are supposed to be rapid fire, and I always want to give the most like thoughtful answer. But you know, there's different answers because obviously there's people like faith-wise that I would love to talk to. There are people work-wise that I would love to talk to. And then, you know, your girl needs a husband. So there are people that I would love to talk to, you know, that could be a good suitor. But um golly. Okay, so Someone who I have always looked up to, um, never gotten the opportunity to meet, but I actually think would give me really great advice and insight on a multitude of things that we have in common, faith, work, family, different things, is Sam Ponder. She has always been someone that I have looked up to career-wise. She's also, you know, really devout in her faith and has maintained that throughout her broadcast career. So I think that I would love to have 10 minutes to chat with her. That's a good one. I like that one. Yeah. I like that one. Your favorite Auburn thing to do outside of sports? Oh, crap. That's all I did. Um, favorite Auburn thing to do? I mean, listen, your girl should have paid rent at Skybar. <laughs> I was there all the time. <laughs> My mother is going to kill me that I just said that. But it's true. Listen, I... 
if you if you ever needed me on a Wednesday yeah. night, a Friday night, or a Saturday night, I was oh. probably in the boom boom room at Sky Bar. So that's just the reality of it. I had a good time. I love to dance. So I was always back there with the bands and the DJ. That was that was my that was my spot. You know what I mean? There you go. I like that. It's <laughs> a great answer. Sky oh gosh, bar. my mom's gonna kill me. Okay. Uh, I got something for you, Jason. Who was a teammate of yours that made a substantial impact on you as a person? Mm. Wow, that's a great one, great one, great one. I would probably say in college, Ben Leard. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say Ben Leard is because when I first got to Auburn, you know, sometimes you can come in as a highly talented recruit and some of the guys that's there kind of like brush you off or, you know, like, you know, give you the cold shoulder. But Ben opened me with welcome arms, kind of showed me the ropes, taught me how to study film, taught me how to, you know, break down certain plays, what to expect at the college level, what to expect from Coach Tuberville and the staff. And so, you know, he kind of got me going and it made the transition a lot easier for me because I didn't have that that guy that there was just trying to be cold to me. So he he taught me a lot when I first got to Auburn. And uh, I would probably say in the NFL, he probably doesn't even notice, (laughs) but – I would probably say London Fletcher. And you know, okay. I always watch London because London was an undersized guy his whole career. He wasn't drafted. Uh, you know, he played, I think, like Carrollton College or something. And uh, he ended up playing 17 years in the National Football League. But London brought it week in, week out. He was the ultimate fresh, professional during a week of practice, during the games. He wasn't one of those guys that when you have a good game, he's all up on you, talking to you. When you have a rough game, <laughs> You know, you don't see him. You know, he was always yeah. the same guy, same teammate all the time. So those two guys paid pivotal. Uh, I, I learned a lot from both of those. That's awesome. I like those answers. Okay, if you – if football was like baseball and you had mm. a walk-up song, what mm. would it be? Every time you took the field, they played a certain song that represented you. What is it? Oh, man. Mm. I guess it would probably be Jay Z and Rihanna. Who's gonna run this town tonight? Ooh, I like it. You know, cause when I come up the bat, I'm get ready around that tunnel to play a game. You, you the man, yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like you the man. You know what I'm saying? So you you ready like to run it. the run the run the thing? Let's go. All right, I like it. All right, my last one: Gatorade or Powerade? Ah. Uh, I would have to say Powerade because Powerade sponsored me when I was in Washington and everyone knows that Powerade used to fill my garage with so much Powerade and Smart Water because Smart Water was under Powerade. So Powerade, if you hear me out there, yo, hook a brother back up, man. Hook a brother back up. What retirement got to take away my my Powerade and my Smart Water and stuff, man? Y'all spoil me. Now I got to go out here and... Bad and everything. Get it sorry. yourself. What yeah. the heck? Jason's out here trying to that. make business deals. Yeah, oh. I, was, I was spoiled a little bit, you know, but Powerade. Yeah, shocker. I got y'all. That is hilarious. All right, people. You heard it here first. Now we will bring in our guest, Stan White, to talk all about this upcoming season. Let's do it. We have former Auburn quarterback and radio color commentator for Auburn Network. Everyone, welcome. Stan White. Stan, how are you? I'm doing great, Taylor. How are you? And how you doing, Jason? Hey, I'm doing good. You know, I just, you know, wish I could just sit out on a lake and ride some jet skis. <laughs> and... Well, first of all, you, 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 you know, you know me well. You, you have an open invitation, and so uh, I, I haven't seen oh, your. Nice. Uh, you probably have. You probably have three Range Rovers now, so I haven't seen those uh, <laughs> roll up in my driveway or my neighborhood. So. Uh, you know that the only invitation is always there. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, hey, when I come down there, when I come down, I'm bringing my cornhole bo- uh, tables just to just to defeat some people. So you can't not compete. You the competition just flows through him. You know what I mean, Stan? I'm sure you are privy to that <laughs> being around him with the radio. Uh, but like I said, just so much that we are going to get to pick your brain about. Obviously, in regards to the recent decisions in uh in regards to this upcoming season things like that but i gotta take you back in time a little bit first and, and take you back to the 90s the team of the decade let's talk about 
1993 undefeated season. Now, you've stayed very closely connected to the program. You know, you've, you've seen some great teams that have come through the Plains. But talk to me about that 93 season. What made that group so effective? You know, I think we were such a close uh, group of guys, especially the upperclassmen, because we had been through so much. We had been through a, yeah. a coaching change with Coach Dye. Um, we were not expected to be a very good ball club. We, we were coming off of two subpar seasons, um, and we had a coaching change. Terry Bowden, which at the time was a relatively unknown on the D- Division One front. Um, he was at Samford and, and had done well, but but – you know, bringing him to an SEC uh, school was, was, you know, really a bit of a, bit of a, a long shot, so to speak. And so, um, you know, we went out there and, 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 and think about that team we had was we had some seniors in, in key positions that really led that team. We had a pretty much a veteran uh, a backfield in me with being a four-year starter, uh, running backs, James Bostick, and then we had some key contributors on the defensive side as well that were veterans. So we knew we had some ability. Uh, we knew we had some some core things in place. Um, and you, we just kind of made a decision early on. So, guys, look, we can't be on television. That's the last time any school has um, been on probation and, and been banned from TV. Yeah. And we just said, guys, let's just go out there and let's win every single game we play and, and show them you know, what we can do. And, and lo and behold, we did it. And, and uh, it was almost as simple as that. Now, the work we put in was obviously a lot more difficult. The games were difficult. But we just had a mindset that we're going to go out there and even though we can't be seen, we can be heard. And right. so we were uh, – that was kind of our, our mindset. And we just kept building week by week. And lo and behold, um, you know, we, we were able to win them all. And our, our key pivotal win that year, obviously, I think it was the Florida game against Steve Spurrier, top three or four in the nation. Uh, and – we had kind of cracked the top 25, but we're still an unknown. And then we got in a shootout with them, and we were able to win. And that really vaulted us up in the national spotlight. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I was just about to ask you that question, Stan. Which game was the game that, that kind of let y'all know y'all was having a special year? I know every team's that they come through and they have those undefeated seasons. There's always that one game you can go to. But there's all, also there's a moment, like – Outside of the Florida game, which everyone – that's the game that's always highlighted, which game that you say was the game that kind of gave – where y'all had a moment where you knew y'all was like, okay, this team is special? Yeah, you know, JC, I think the biggest thing was is I think every single game we played had one of those moments in it because we had gone through two years that were not Auburn-type years. I mean, there, there were 500 seasons. And so – First game out of the gates, we played – we didn't have warm-up games back then. We played in SEC. We played Ole Miss right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And Ole Miss was coming off a year where they had a top-five defense uh, the last two years running, and so we knew the challenge there. And the old Joe Lee Dunn defense, he was a guy that ran mm-hmm. wild defenses. I mean, you, did, you could never predict what he was going to do. And sure enough, we win that game in kind of a, a – old-fashioned shootout. It was a low-scoring game, and we're like, oh, great win, guys. We're off the bat. We're 1-0 in conference play. We're 1-0. So, really, every single game had one of those, okay, this is our moment. We're going to win. And even all the way down to the Georgia game, well, we're 10-0 and at the time, or 9-0 and going to Athens, and they are having a an average year. I think they were 5-4 and four at the time, maybe 6-3. and three. And, and we're, a, we're a pretty decent-sized underdog. And so we, we knew that. I mean, you, you look at the papers and everything, and, and we're like, man, we're getting no respect. We're undefeated, number seven or eight in the nation, and we're going against a, barely a 500 Georgia team, and we're underdogs. So we went out there and beat them by two touchdowns. And, and so <laughs> every single uh, game had a moment like that. But, the, you know, the pivotal one was, was that Florida one. I mean, that was one where, you know, and, and, and I, it's funny. I talked to Steve Spurrier, you know, years after – that game and he will he will recite plays and things that he did wrong and things that we did right in that comeback win because we were down by two touchdowns at half yeah. and and he remembers plays like it because it's like you know he was talking about Danny Warple throwing a pick six for 90 yards and and so forth and so it, it's um that that pivotal moment was that game and then of course we top it off with an Iron Bowl win against uh, Alabama which was the defending national champion uh, from the year before so it was just one of those special seasons. 
That is special. And, and it's interesting that you bring up the the underdog because really Auburn's no stranger to being the underdog. You you almost feel like, and I feel like we can all speak to it as, as Auburn, well, for you guys, former athletes and, and obviously fans, there's almost a point where you go, what more do we need to do? You know, and, and sometimes it's justified, but sometimes you just feel like Auburn always kind of has that, that they have to overcome. But sometimes those really special groups, it works to their advantage and you almost see it serve as a motivation. And I think that that's really an interesting um, characteristic that a lot of the great teams have had. I want to bring you to, to the current situation, the current climate around Auburn football and, and really kind of what's been present the, the last several years. This, this Gus Malzahn offense at Auburn, you know, he, he really kind of established that, that hurry up, no huddle, pound the ground, run, run offense. And obviously you work to the strengths of your personnel, but that is the identity that he has wanted to establish at Auburn. I actually would love to get both of your takes on this as, as offensive guys. What do you think is most effective? You know, what you've seen over the years, what do you like to see from an Auburn offense and what needs to be done to establish a little more consistency on that side of the ball? Well, Jason and I have talked a lot about, you know, the offense and the philosophy. And, and of course, being old quarterbacks, we wouldn't mind throwing it around 60 times a game. But we know that you, you really can't do that to, to effectively win. I mean, look at, you know, the Pac-12 in general. You know, they're more passing yeah. conference. I just don't think you can – I don't think you can throw it 50, 55 times and expect to win a lot of games. Uh, and, that's a, and that's coming from a quarterback that loves to throw it. Uh, yeah. but, but I think – Gus is known as a as a run first play action type guy uh, with a hurry up concept. Now, depend like you said, a lot of it can depend on your personnel. If you've got a younger quarterback, you may want to slow it down a little bit. If you got some younger receivers, you slow it down a little bit. But I think the interesting dilemma now is is the hiring of Chad Morris um, because he has a more of a pass um, mentality, and and so I think it's going to be interesting to see. That uh, I wouldn't call it marriage, but marriage, so to speak, between sure. Chad Morris, uh, Chad Morris, and Gus Malzahn, because they can um, intertwine, so to speak, their philosophies, and and they have very similar philosophies. But Chad has a background um, like Taj Boyd, Deshaun Watson, those guys right. at Clemson that he worked with and did very well. So that's I think what um, I wouldn't say Auburn has been missing, but maybe they needed. And yeah. so uh, it's going to be interesting to see that. I mean, no, no question. Gus likes to pound the ball. He likes to run it. He likes to lean on you. When he's had his great teams in 2013, um, in 2010, when, when he was the offensive coordinator, you know, their, their common core was is they were going to run it and pound at you. And they also had electric quarterbacks that could run it as well. And right. so Bo Nix is not a Cam Newton. Uh, he's not a Nick Marshall type of runner, but he is very athletic. He's, he's more athletic than a Jarrett Stidham, so to speak. Right. So um, I, I think, I think uh, I'll be interested to see how Chad Morris kind of puts his stamp on this offense along with Gus Malzahn's philosophy. Yeah, I agree with you, Stan. That's what I was about to say uh, with Chad Morris. And do you think of Gus, even in 2017, when Gus was the, uh, was the head coach, and we went to the SEC championship game. You know, we rode carry on, you know, big time. Carry on was carrying the yeah. ball over 30 some 30 some times a game. And uh, you know, towards the end of the year, he kind of got banged up and ended up hurting us in the SEC championship game because he wasn't able to, to be his normal self. But you think about his teams, though, we're a really good football team based off how our defense is compared with his run game. And then the play action come off of it. You know, Stidham had a good year that year, but a lot of it was off of play action. And um so with us having Tank Bisbee and DJ Williams, I think we do have that one-two punch that maybe we hadn't had in a while. We've always had one running back, but we really hadn't had that one-two punch in a long time. And I think when you add those two guys to the mix, I think you will see still a good a good portion of runs. But at the same time, I think, you know, we will see a lot of NASCAR things where we call that, you know, Stan, myself, Taylor, we call that where it's like, real quick hitters, like when you're trying to get the ball in the fast guy's hand real fast and just let him go. And I think when I think sports and guys like that, you know, it's going to be fun to see how sports get, Anthony Swartz kind of get implemented in Chad Morris's offense because 
you know, last year we see him do a couple of reverses here and there, but teams kind of caught on to it. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he involves him on drag routes, over crossing routes, and get him down the field where he can get those one-on-one matchups where he can utilize his speed. So those are things I think is going to be exciting. That's why I always say you can't compare stats from years to years because every year is just different. You know, sometimes, you know, people like to compare stats and everything, but I just like sometimes a kid may throw the ball – a hundred times more than another guy did. So of course the stats gonna be different. Sometimes there are years yeah. where Stan was playing, I was playing, it was more of a pro style offense. And where you was at the line of scrimmage, you're checking plays. You're not even looking to the sideline to the coach to give you a play or to change the play. Like this is stuff you go over during the week where you have certain checks, you see a certain defense you get to, and you see certain blitzes, you have to re repoint the mic and change the change the blitz pickup. And then sometimes you have a sight adjust which you signal to the receiver, where now a lot of that stuff is built in within the offense, but then they're also looking to the sideline. Everyone's looking to the sideline to get the cue from the offense coordinator. So they're trying to go as fast as they can to put pressure on the defense. But when you mm -hmm. do that, it's so important for you to get first downs and third downs. Because you don't get first downs and third downs, you can ultimately wear your defense out. So yeah. that's the main thing. You can do it as long as you're staying on the field. So it's going to be interesting to see. I'm excited to see his offense, especially with your guy, Seth Williams, catching the ball. Oh, and yeah. uh, and so I think that's going to be pivotal. I completely agree. Well, that, that definitely takes us into the big conversation topic, obviously, what this season is going to be like. We at least know now that it's going to be SEC only, 10 games beginning September 26th. We are still waiting on the schedule release, but Stan, talk to me about this decision. Obviously, this was something that we anticipated was going to be the reality, but now that it's officially set and we know that these guys are going to see SEC caliber competition week after week, what is your perception of this? What is your expectation for an SEC only season? You know, I like it. I mean, I like – and now I, I wish they were playing 12 games, more games, obviously a regular yeah. season or 11 or 12. I, it doesn't matter. But but I like the fact that they're playing SEC only um, in this – you know, this is a different time. We've never been through sure. this time before. So, uh, first of all, I'm just glad they're, they're, they're planning on playing some type of football. Sure. Uh, and But I, I, the biggest thing that I'm going to take away from this is what's it going to plan for the future? What will it do? Will it all that now? Will it say, okay, look, this thing worked. Are we going to jump up to a nine game SEC schedule? Because usually they play eight. Are we going to jump up to maybe a 10 just with two non conferences? Um, is it going to cause discussion with the Power Five to get on the same page across the board to play a nine or 10 game conference schedule? What's going to happen with the Power Five? Are they, you know, there's always been that hint of breaking off. Um, so, that's that's what's going to be the big uh, thing is what's it going to hold for 2021, 22, and there and, and so on because you know I think I think if you talk to the average fan, um, they say, man, ten SEC games instead of eight—that's pretty cool. Uh, so you know, uh, but you know, you're you're obviously you're you're declining by two games of a regular season, but still. Um, I, it, it'll, you got to bring your lunch pail every game, I can tell you that, because uh, you, you don't have a game where you can maybe take off the, the third and fourth quarter. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a full slate. And also, how does it affect, let's say, the Big Ten? They, they jumped out first and said, we're going nine-game schedule. Well, what do you, how, do you, how do you reward a 9-0 and Ohio State versus a 9-1 and LSU, Auburn, Alabama when it comes to playoff picture. So that is going to be the biggest challenge um, because it's not, there is not a level playing field on the way they're going to do these conferences. That's why if anything in the future, hopefully these egos and conference heads can, can get together and say, listen, we all have to be on the same page because there's too many teams being left out. And then you're going to, you're going to see some wheels in motion going to maybe an eight gate, eight uh, team playoff then. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. Do you think that this kind of leans toward that side of the argument? Because you're absolutely right. If if conference bias wasn't already an issue, this season is for sure going to highlight that argument. Do you think an eight-game playoff situation is is where they're going to head? Should they? To me, it makes too much sense. I mean, yep. you got you you have you have to at some point in time. You have five Power Five conferences. Now, mm -hmm. I'm taking an NFL and a college approach on this, so bear with me on this. 
I don't care. Uh, let me give you an example. My old, I'd say my alma mater, and the New York Giants, where I played, they were nine and seven the year they upset uh, uh, New England Patriots in the Super Bowl back 10, 10 or so years ago. But they went nine and seven regular season, barely made the playoffs. But you know what? They were the best team. They were the best team in the world after they beat New England Patriots. That's that's the way the NFL works. All you got to do is make the playoffs. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you take your five conference champions. I don't care if they're seven and four, eight and three, nine and two, or ten and zero, or eleven and zero, or whatever. Your five conference champions make the playoff, period, just like an NFL model, right? Then you take your three and you make them the committee chosen ones, the, the at-large, whether it be a Central Florida who's 12-0, and 0, whether it be an, an additional SEC team who barely lost the SEC championship game. Right. You, you take that college model for the other 40% of your eight teams, and you can kind of intertwine them. So, but here's the thing I think that they're afraid of is, is that, well, you, you, is, is really a seven and four or a seven and five, you know, Pittsburgh almost won it a few years ago going like seven and five or eight and four. Um, has there ever been a conference champion with three or more losses? I would say probably not. Uh, so you're going to have teams that are worthy of being in there. Um, anyway, there, there's not going to be a seven and five conference champion. I mean, it's just so, uh, if, if at all, it'd be rare. It'd be rare. So that's my point on it. Now, here's the challenge. Where are you going to play your first playoff round? Well, my thoughts would be just play it at the, the highest-seeded team. So one versus eight, you play it at one's home stadium. Then when you get to the final four, that's when you play it within your bowl system, the, the Fiesta or the Sugar or the Rose or whatever. Um, but, you know, that's just, that's just kind of thinking on a, a quick thoughts of it. There's more challenges involved to it. But I don't see how you can't have um, your five champions just be automatically in no matter what. Yeah, that's a great point. I want to get both of your answers on these two questions. This will be my last one for you, Stan. Heading into this season, give me one guy on this team that – has to make a difference, like has to be the guy. I'm going to eliminate Bo Nix because obviously a lot rides on his shoulders this year. But who is a player that you both think he needs to be the guy this year? He really needs to step up and, and be a leader for this team. And also, who is an SEC opponent that you think has the most potential heading into this season? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to lean on what Jason was talking about. I think Anthony Schwartz on offense has has got to be a guy, not, not just a jet guy that can get the the, the little sweeps and stuff. I think Mm -hmm. he's got to be a downhill guy. And and here's why I think he can be a guy like that. If you look at this guy has world-class speed, but he also has very good hands. He's a very good receiver. And he, if you look at the last game of the year in the Iron Bowl, Jalen Waddle, very similar style now Waddle's more of a quick uh up and down type of guy and Schwartz is more of a strider but they both have world-class speed and Waddle just ate Auburn's defense up uh, with four touchdown catches a, a kick return I think Schwartz can be a downfield threat meaning a drag underneath or a slant or a dig type of guy who catches it on the run and he can turn a, a 10-yard grab into a 50 easily so I think Schwartz on offense K.J. Britt, to me, on defense, he's that middle linebacker, <clears throat> returning, preseason All-SEC guy. Um, they lost some secondary guys, but they still have experience back there. But I think K.J. Britt on defense has got to be that type of guy. Um, in the SEC, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued by what Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss is going to do. Ah. Um, I, I, I don't I, – not to, not to say that I think they're going to be a 10-2 and two or, or com, compete sure. for the – you know, SEC crown, but, but, you know, he's a, he's a good, he's a good ball coach and, okay. and, uh, and he'll get under some, he'll get under some feathers of some other coaches in the league. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm anxious to see what they do. Not to, not to say they're going to be, you know, in Atlanta or competing for an SEC championship, but I, you know, he may have a, a few things up his sleeve that'll, that'll yeah. cause some trouble for some teams. Listen, I like both of their quarterbacks. They've got some talent down there. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. Uh, me, personally, I think offensively, I'm going to have to go with Tank Bisbee. only reason I say that because DJ is probably going to start the season and uh, Tank's probably going to fill in until he can pick up and certain things. But 
how well would Tank be able to pick up blitzes? You know, everyone always talk about a kid running the ball. But, you know, having Cadillac in, the, in that offensive room, I think helps him so much because Lack was a guy that could step up and pick up blitzes. So how well Tank can figure out how to pick up blitzes in the SEC and, and, and figure, fit his head in there, I think he's going to be a real key ingredient on in offense because he's a big SEC-style back. He has the body for it. And then when you think about defensively, I'm going to go with uh, Big Cat Bryant. And the reason I say that is we have to be able to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks because we are going to have a secondary that's returning all – I mean, that's not returning any starters. So our sole secondary is going to be new. So what's the way to take pressure off the secondary is we got to have a good a good pass rush. And I feel like Big Cat Bryant is going to have to be a big reason for that. And, and then you think about the SEC um, – I'm going to go with the new coach that's at Mississippi State. Uh, came from Washington State. Mike Leach. Uh, the Pirate. Yes, yes, the Pirate. Yeah, the Pirate. <laughs> <laughs> so, when I think him, I think you just don't know what kind of offense he's going to Well, we already know what kind of offense he's going to bring. And it's going to make people yep. have to adapt. You really don't know what they're going to look like. Mississippi State has always been a running team. So, it's going to be very interesting to see now them being more of a passing team and doing a lot of NASCAR, different things. Like, how would teams adjust? And – like I say Lane Kiffin will cause problems. You know, I'm pretty sure he can't wait to play Alabama. And so, you know, that kind of, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of interesting things this year along with Tennessee as well. I totally agree. I like all of those answers. It will be no surprise to Jason or our listeners that my key guy is Seth Williams. Stan, I'm basically the president of the Seth Williams fan club. There's just <laughs> that guy. I just, I so appreciate having such a reliable big receiver like him out there, especially for a guy like Bo. I think Seth has to have a standout year. And I agree. KJ Britt is my guy on defense, not just his presence on the field, but you can tell he's really taken to that leadership role on the defense. I think he's going to have a big year. And my one to watch in the SEC, I, I'm very interested to see what Texas A&M is this year. I think it's only a matter of time before Jimbo has that thing, you know, a really well-oiled machine. I think Kellen Mond, he's one of the only returning vets in the SEC. I don't think we really saw what he's capable of this past season. So A&M is, is the one in the conference that I'm keeping my eye on. But Stan, we are going to let you go. This interview was so fun, and you were so awesome to talk to. Your insight is definitely appreciated. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. We look forward to hearing all your coverage this upcoming season, and you are welcome back here anytime. Hey, my pleasure, Taylor. It was a pleasure to be with you. And, and JC, you know, that invitation always stands up down at Lake Martin. Hey, hey I, sure, I, I sure appreciate it, Stan. You know, go enjoy yourself at <laughs> Lake, man. Make sure you – uh Put some suntan stuff on. Don't burn yourself too much. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sam. War Eagle. War Eagle. Take care, guys. All right, everybody. Well, that will do it for us on this week's episode of Believe in Everything Auburn. As always, we thank you so much for following along, listening to us each and every week. Make sure you hit that subscribe button in the podcast app so that you get a notification every time we release an episode. Jason and I will be back in a couple weeks, and hopefully we will have the Auburn Tigers football schedule for you, and we can talk all about our upcoming opponents, start sizing them up, playing some mental warfare, because that's always fun. Everyone, make sure you have a very safe, healthy, happy couple of weeks, and as always, War Eagle. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.